millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome to another special COVID-19 isolation edition of the Roker Report podcast. Uh, it's Gav here today. I know you've heard several different voices on the pod recently, but we're all a little bit bored missing the football and enjoying taking turns uh, as we've moved the pod from being in the surrounds of a studio to the comfort of our own homes and living rooms. I'm actually in my bedroom <laughs> trying to trying to keep the noise down a bit because it's quite late tonight. And I'm honoured and privileged to be able today to speak to, uh, well, a man whose name adorned my Red and White Sun and Home shirt during the 2006-2007 season. The Lonsdale Red and White Stripey Top, which I've probably still got somewhere. But strangely, this player didn't actually play all that much for us yet. Is a player I felt did really well for Sunderland um, and is someone the fans developed an affection for and ultimately could have gone on to do a lot on we side had had his circumstances personally been different. Uh, Tobias, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Uh, that was a nice intro. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Um uh, not in quarantine like like you guys uh, are yet. All right. So how how come? How what's what's different in Sweden? Is it are we are we still carrying on as normal? Well, not as normal, obviously. Uh, but we're trying to. Uh, we're, it's shutting down bit by bit. Um, mm. We have restrictions, of course. Uh, you're not allowed to play any games at all. Uh, if we're talking about football, yeah, we're not allowed to be more than fifty people in in uh, uh, public places, uh, restaurants, yeah. theatres, cinemas. So, yeah, no, it's not normal. We're not indoors in, in the same way that, that I think you guys are. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's right or wrong, but that's the that's the path that that the swedish government has chosen yeah. to take and and we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see uh which path is better yeah are you missing the football oh every day <laughs> but but to be honest i i think it, it it would have been worse obviously had i had i still been playing at top level but we're i'm in i'm in the swedish seventh Division is yeah, it's got to be the seventh division now. As a as a as a player manager, player coach, our, our league's been moved forward to I think middle of June uh, as it is now, and we'll just have to wait and see. But um, yeah, of course, I mean it's 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 terrible. Not only not playing, but not watching any sports on TV. Uh, it's not only football; it's it's any sport. So yeah, uh, yeah it's it's boring but necessary. Yeah, I hadn't realised that you'd actually stepped into coaching. So what club are you with uh, currently? At this level, I wouldn't say I've stepped into coaching in that manner. It's just that we started a new club. I, I was When I retired, I, I thought I still wanted to play. I didn't want to make any 
any effort into going into the third league or the fourth league or like because those leagues are still four five times a week training yeah, yeah. You, you're going to play games in, in different places where you have to you know you have to spend a whole day away um mm-hmm. in, in the we started a new club started in the eighth division i think uh won that last year uh, and now we're in the seventh then but i've just uh you know just to start getting a feel of what it's actually like being on the other side, mm. you know, planning, trainings, uh, sessions and, and, and all of that. It, it's competitive and all that, but it's not in any level where you'd go. And But yeah. we're, we're trying to keep it simple and we're trying to do the best we can at the level we're at. A lot of respect for anybody continuing a career in football, because I can imagine after so many years of training every day and committing your life to it, that it can be quite difficult to then make the next step, which is obviously coaching. Obviously in Sweden, the, 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 what's the standard like? Is it, is it you know, you say a seventh, eighth division in Sweden, is that is that part-time? Is it amateur? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're not on any, any salaries at all. Uh, Got you right. So it's just plain, plain uh, amateur. I, I would say six, maybe the sixth or, or fifth division is where you start to get paid a little bit. So right. everybody's doing it just because they love the game. We're training twice a week. Have, usually we have a game at weekends and it's, you know, 12, 12 teams in the league and just uh, trying to, trying to you know, have fun doing as well as we can. And we're, like I said, we, we started the club yes, uh, last year. So it's, it's, it's a new club and it's an early project. Or, or whatever you want to call it. But um, mm. we're, we're trying to do as well as we can, and we're going to try and, and, and get promoted either this year or next year again, uh, and then we'll see, what, we'll see what happens. That's absolutely brilliant. But obviously today we're here to talk about your time at Sunderland, which we weren't here for very long, but you did play your part in a team which is remembered really fondly by the supporters. Um, but obviously you you, um, you arrived on Side in the summer of 2006 with Niall Quinn as the manager. Um, I bet that was a bit of a whirlwind, was it? Yeah, it was. At the time, I didn't really think much about who was the manager. I was just introduced to to the interest that that Sunderland had in me. Um, I was playing Sweden, obviously, for the team. We were reigning champions, won the double the year before. Uh, I was uh, named as a as a reserve for the Swedish World Cup squad in in the summer there of 2006. Uh, but obviously, we had players like Ibrahimovic, Henrik Larsson, Freddie Jungberg, and, and, and Christian Willemsson. And it was hard. It was hard to get in. But then again, I wasn't playing all that well. But when Sunderland came, I thought, okay, this is a big club. Niall Quinn was the caretaker manager. Like, I think he was the chairman at the time. <laughs> he did everything. He was, he was, he was the groundsman. He was the, the Exactly. Chef. Kind of trying to keep the club, uh, the club afloat in a way because they'd started with four, four defeats in a row in the championship, got, got relegated the year before with, I don't know, maybe it's still the worst points rally in, in, in the Premier League. But uh, just for me, English football was like you, when you when you live in Sweden and, and you're in my age, you, you're growing up with English football. Uh, yeah. Obviously, my dad playing in, in Liverpool for two or three years. That was like Engl- the English league and the English uh, football system was where I wanted to play. Uh, so it was a dream come come true, really, to, to come to England and, and get to play for not only a big club, but get to play in front of, of, of a big crowd and, and you know, playing against teams as well who 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 I've only seen them on the telly. So I didn't really think that much about going there but maybe I should have just took the time to think about was it the right time for me personally because I think I couldn't have joined at a, in a in a better at a better time because the club was struggling and they needed something. They needed energy yeah. from somewhere. 
but when I came in, it was more like, okay, I, I can I can bring some energy. And then they brought in a new manager and he brought in six more players, uh, which was the problem for me, obviously, because he brought in Ross Wallace, who was a fantastic player that season. Uh, but it also yeah. meant less chances for me, obviously. Mm. I was going to ask about that, actually, because you you arrived, obviously, in the early in the summer. Although you, you were at the club, I believe you didn't play in that run of games where we, we struggled to find a point uh, when, when Niall was manager until, was your debut against West Brom, the home game? Yeah. At home, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was a strange game because obviously we'd been on such a bad run of defeats and then news had emerged that Roy Keane was going to become the manager and he was in the crowd that day. So what was that like, obviously making your debut on a day like that where really nobody knew what to expect? Yeah, that was, that was a, like you said, it was a strange game because... Me coming in just a week before, I think, or maybe even days before. Mm. I think I, I think I had like two or three training sessions with the, with the team before the game, uh, and then got told you're going to start. And then obviously with with all the with all the fuzz about Roy Keane being in the stands, uh, that he might become the new manager. Um, it was for me playing that game was was special as well because I never felt we were the bottom team of the league, and and they were like contenders to, to win it yeah uh, from 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 minute one I felt we've got this uh and 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 in the end obviously we did mm. but I think it's it's easy to say when when you know what happened but playing in that game it was it was like the crowds weren't all that big I think it was something like twenty eight thousand, and that would just grow and grow during during yeah, the season yeah. but like I said it was it was special uh I missed an absolute sitter after like <laughs> 10 minutes, I think. Uh, and I just thought, oh, no, not one of them games. Uh, <laughs> but then Dino scored from a corner uh, straight in. And, and then we got a free kick in the second half where I got to set up uh, Neil Collins. Yeah, that's right. It was a header, wasn't it? I yeah, think. it was a free kick from from the yeah. right-hand side. And, and it was for me, that was fantastic because, as I said, I knew Sunderland was a big club. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a... It wasn't a a very well-functioning club at the time, but it was a big club with with a great stadium, great fans, uh, a lot of fans. Yeah. For me, it was just about you know getting into it and then trying to help to get the club back on its feet, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and winning that game started it all. We were struggling before New Year's, but but then again, he uh, the manager made some changes. He, he brought in a couple of players and he and he and he uh, told a few players to to leave. And obviously, yeah. we just we just went on from there. Did he did he nip into the changing rooms before that West Brom game and and have a word, or was was it all just a case of he kept away from the players that day? I know that he was in the meeting, the team meeting room. If it was before the West Brom game or just after, right? But I think it was before actually. I think it it could have been the day before mm. where he just came on, came in, and and just said hi and. I'm going to watch the game tomorrow and, you know, nothing's settled, but just wanted to come in and say hi and, and let you know that I'll be there. And I don't know what it was like for the, for the, for the players in the team, but for me, it was like, oh shit, <laughs> it was, it was still Roy Keane. I mean, yeah. he just retired as a player and he, he was going to come in and, and, and take over. And, and as everybody probably thought, I thought, okay, this is not going to be, this is not going to be uh, something that you can just laugh about and, and stuff like that. Cause he's going to, he's going to set his standards straight away, which he did um, mm. obviously. So 
obviously that that week which preceded that game, he had that mad day, didn't he? Where he signed, five, I think it was five or six players, and we were like we were the talk of the country because Sunderland just went out and splashed a load of cash on players um, on deadline day, and in came Ross Wallace, and obviously the next game was Keane's first uh, away at Derby County, and I think I think he actually replaced you in the team, didn't he, with Ross Wallace. Who who had a big say in the win, of course, but I mean, what was that like? Obviously, coming coming in, playing well on your debut, and then you know, not even coming off the bench. I don't think in the next game. What was that like? No, but that was that was that was the thing. Um, and I think for me, that's where that's where everything really started going not the wrong way because I still managed to get a run of games and I was playing a lot in January. But you know, when you come in as a new player and you think, okay, I've done well. Uh, I'll get to play in the next game. Obviously, they lost four games, five games in a row. Mm. Uh, you come in as a new player, you play well, you 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 create a goal for your team, and then you're not even playing a minute in the next game. <laughs> but but what he he explained it like I need to give I need to give the new boys a chance to to, to prove themselves. I think you've done well, and and you're going to be part of, of of the plans for the season. But but I need to give I need to give the new players a chance to play. You can say what you want about that, but they did well. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the the players that came that came in. I mean, it was it was Graham Kavanagh, Liam Miller, Stan Varga. In the end, Dwight York, and there was there was one more player coming in in the first in the first transfer window. I don't can count. Well, obviously, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ross, yeah, Ross course. Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they did well. They were fantastic players for us. I mean, Ross. I don't know how many goals he scored, but he scored at least seven or eight. And you just just think how many times he jumped in the crowd with his shirt off. That's probably, probably yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> when I got my run of games because he got yeah. suspended for for getting yellow cards and red oh, cards yeah, and everything. Course. Yeah. Uh, no, but obviously, if you if you want to win a league, especially in England, you need to have a width in the squad. But for me, it was more like I'd always been number one, and now I was number two, and at times even number three. And that mm-hmm. was that. That was the strange situation that for me, because I wasn't used to that, and maybe I wasn't prepared enough to handle it. I think in the end, that was that was the main issue why I actually left. Uh, but yeah, we'll yeah. get to that, I guess. Yes. But we're playing decent from times to times before New Year. Uh, winning a couple, losing a couple, not really getting into any momentum. The big change happened in, in the January transfer window when he brought in, well, obviously Johnny Evans and, and Carlos Edwards, but Stern John uh, and, and Danny Simpson as well, Louis Nayotanga, because we got plays in that could make a difference. Uh, Johnny Evans was fantastic. I mean, he's probably the best defender I've ever played with. How old would he have been then? He would have probably been a teenager, wouldn't he? He, uh, he would have been 18 or 19, maybe. Yeah, yeah crazy. I mean, he was he actually made Nyron even better as well, you know, and that that defensive partnership. Oh was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was crazy. They completed each other. They 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 managed to get a, a partnership where where Nyron was a strong, quick, you know, like the enforcer more like as a defender. He, he was anything Johnny couldn't handle. Nyron just ran and and got for him. Uh, and and also the other way around when Iron was in a in a tackle or wherever and the ball managed to escape him, Johnny was just standing there and he was just like, okay, I'll get that for you, no worries. Yeah. And then just and obviously his feet and his build up play uh, as a 90, 18, 19 year old to be that good, you just thought, okay, he's coming from Man United, okay, he should be he should be fairly okay, but he was fantastic. 
I mean, Simo as well. Danny Simpson was great yeah. as well, but he wasn't at he wasn't at Johnny Evans level at the time. Two Premier League winners in the end, though, you know. That's yeah, just, it you is. Know. Yeah, yeah, and you could see that coming with Johnny. I have to say, Simo was a great player for us, but I couldn't see him winning the Premier League at the time. He he done fantastically with Leicester when they actually won it. But but Johnny, I thought, to be honest, I thought Johnny would do even better at Man United than he actually did. He's had a fantastic career. But I thought he would get up there with the like maybe not the Ferdinands and the Villages, but somewhere close to that level because he was that good at eighteen, nineteen. You think though he he's obviously back now with Leicester, so playing at the right end of the Premier League. But then after I think after he left uh, Man U, he went to West Brom, didn't he? And they didn't pay an awful lot for him, and nor did Leicester. You know, three three point five million, something like that. And I mean, he he's a top quality defender, probably. I mean, we had this debate amongst our writers on the website this week, you know, who's the best loan son- signing sons ever made. Johnny Evans has got to be up there because he, I mean, he, even the season after when um, we, we couldn't manage to get him in the summer and then we brought him back in the January, uh, he just made such a difference to the team and I think probably in the end helped keep the team up, you know. So you've got to have solid foundations to to ultimately succeed. And that was definitely the, the one big improvement in Roy's team after that, like you said yourself, the early part of that season. I mean, people forget actually until probably February, we didn't actually do too great. We were probably mid table, flitting around, you know. And it was the signings in January that made all the difference. Yeah, I would say I would say until New Year because we lost. I think the day before New Year, I think we lost to Preston, and and I think after that, like I, I remember January being being very very good to us. I think we must have won at least seven or eight games in January. We started winning at Leicester on New Year's Day where I got to score. And then from there on, we just started winning games. Uh, we started winning games where we normally draw or lose. Um, and I think we I think we were actually like 12th or something in the New Year. And then just, I don't know how many games we played after New Year, but if we'd have played 22, 23 games, I think we won 17 or 18 of them. You're right, actually. We, we played Preston in the Cup, um, which was the game after New Year's Day. And then after then, we only lost one game, which was... As against Colchester away. That's yeah. right, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and like I said, I think we managed to get everybody... Like, we, we got it together. You have to remember also, there was a lot of new players. Like, mm. there was a lot of players going out, coming in. And it takes some time. It's going to take some time to get everybody settled. It's going to take some time, no matter how good of a player you are, it's going to take some time to get everybody to understand, okay, this is what we want to do. This is how we've been training. This is what we've been practicing. But when it actually, when everything falls in the right place, and at, uh, you have to say at this time, it was everything fell into place at the same time for everybody. Then it was just, the, the quality of the players was was just too high to not start start running up the table. There was there was some big characters in that dressing room. Obviously, you've got Dwight York who has won everything, and then uh, Carlos coming in in the January who made a massive difference. Mm. I mean, what was that? What what were those guys like to be around? I mean, especially Dwight York. I mean, that's a, a again somebody who's won the Champions League. He's played at World Cups. He's you know he's won everything. What was it like playing alongside him? He was quality. Uh, I mean. Like you said, he, he with all the merits and all the and all the titles and all the experience that he had, he could have come in and just gone, oh, I'll just do this for fun. You know, I know the guy plays. <laughs> Why would you even go from Sydney? At, 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 at like, sorry, Yoki, but at his age, yeah. I would just stay there. <laughs> yeah. But but he came on and he was such a quality, not only 
on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. I mean, he was he was a leader in every aspect off the pitch. I mean, he took care of everybody, made sure everybody was doing all right. You know, kept every, he he was always happy like he is. He's he's that kind yeah. of guy. He was always happy, always with a big smile on his face. And that I think that you know it 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 rubbed off to the other players. Everybody started thinking, okay, if he can do this, I can do this. I mean, mm. if he's at thirty six. Coming into the dressing room, being happy, working hard, doing everything he can for the club. There's no excuse for anyone else. So I think that was, and, and that that you can say that about a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, there were other players as well. I mean, you had you had Dino and 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 obviously some of the other players that have been there for a while, Danny Collins. But him being who he was, and and the reputation and the respect that he had already when he came in, uh, I think that was a that was a key moment as well to see him doing what he did yeah a big name at the time and obviously um somebody who Roy trusted and, and knew from his playing days and ultimately I think when you consider how badly the season had went before he had to try and find a way of driving the standards up around the club and one way you do that is by bringing in people who have done everything you know and that and that is that's what I feel he did with Dwight York who I think I think he probably got an extra 20% out of him than anybody thought he might you know even in the Premier League he was still a top player for Sunderland yeah, I think so, and and I I, ju- I just remembered who the who the who the last guy was that came in. It was David Connolly, and oh, yes, forgetting about forgetting about him was actually I feel a little bit ashamed about that because he was also <laughs> quality during all that season. He was also one of the players that was you know driving everything forward. He was like he was standing there and he was scoring goals, not at first, but when he started scoring, he was scoring for fun. And he always worked hard. He was always staying after training, working on his finishing and, 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 you know, setting a standard on the training ground that, like I said, everybody was looking at some players. We were looking at some players and was thinking, OK, they're doing this. This is what I should be doing. Mm. Um, and obviously he was an Irish international as well. So he was there to set the standards for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. So obviously of the players who Niall brought in that summer before Roy arrived, it's probably fair to say you did better than than most or all. Yeah, I mean, although you like you said you it was difficult at times to get into the team. Um, I think you played you you probably played in the majority of games that season. So, uh, you know what what do you think it was about you that that Roy liked? You know, considering you played fairly regularly under him. I don't know, but what I tried to do was that no matter if I played or not, I tried just to. You know, grind every day in training, just try and, and put my shift in every day. Obviously, some days was harder when you're not even coming on as a sub. It, it's always it's always hard. You know, it's a little bit deflating not to to be involved. But some of, I think some of the players that weren't playing maybe complained a little bit more. And, and I tried not to. Right. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and, and, and tap my shoulder and say, oh, well done. But I think that was one of the things that he actually did like about me that no matter if I was playing or not, I was trying my hardest to do what he expected. And obviously it's, it's like I said, I wasn't really prepared to handle the, the, the situation with the competition in, in, in every single position that we, that we had in a team, but I tried as well as I could. And I think I, when I actually did play, I wasn't fantastic, but I was decent. I think he thought that, okay, he's actually doing his job. He's not he's not brilliant, but he's actually doing his job and he can do a job for us. Yeah, and you, you scored four goals from, you know, pop quiz. Do you remember which goals they were and who they were against? Yeah, just a couple of years ago, it was actually fantastic to say that I scored both home and away against Leicester. So so that was that was a proud moment in 2000, was it 15 or 16 when they actually won it? Yeah, yeah. It came up in, in different uh, situations. 
And then it was, uh, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday away and South that was and a, home. That was a, the Sheffield Wednesday game stands out a mile to me because it was a, it felt like a turning point. I don't know, as a fan, we, I think we had about 6,000 fans there that day. Uh, it was the birth of the of the Roy Keane chant, which followed him for the rest of the season. And there's been a couple, I've heard a couple of stories from other players about that day because he wasn't particularly happy. No, nah, um, he was he was furious after the game. He was actually because we were I think we were three nil up, weren't we? And mm-hmm. then gave away two goals. Yeah, I think one of them was quite quite sloppy as well. But yeah, no, nah, but we, we we were in total control. I think I remember that as if we were playing really well. Uh and then in the last twenty minutes we just gave all the initiative away uh, and just managed to almost give give three points away and then mm. I think yeah Carlos Edwards had a tap in in the end and Which softened the blow a little yeah and he came in and he came into the dressing room and I remember him saying something like I, I wish you'd actually lost this game because then you'd realize that this isn't this can't happen I, I can't remember the exact words but he wasn't happy no he wasn't happy how, how scary could he be then when when he was like that like everybody everybody expects him to be like this fierce angry character that he he might have been on the pitch but i would say I, I can't really say that he was he was one of the best coaches if you if you're talking about actual football knowledge he was one of the best coaches i've had obviously i didn't play as much as i wanted but with that being said i think he done he did brilliantly at sunderland i think especially in that year he, it took him some time to to figure out what what to do uh obviously his first couple of months was a little bit even for him even being at the standard he was as a player, it's not easy to just get into coaching and get everything to work. Yeah, uh, but it, but he had but he had his coaches. No, I'd say I'd say he he did really well. I mean, he could he could have a laugh with everybody, and and he could get angry. Obviously, I mean, four mm. nil downs at Preston away, he'd smash a board and just gone fuck. I'd take you off if I could. <laughs> uh, but it was like, yeah, we deserved that. If we deserved a real howling, we got it. And if we deserved yeah. credit, we got it. And then in between all that, it was just trying to get everybody to understand, okay, this is what we want to do. This is standards we want to set. Here's what we need to do. So, no, I appreciated playing under him. Uh, I wish I could have played a little bit more, obviously, like I said. But he, he, he said straight off, if you're not playing, you're not good enough at the moment. So just get your head in, work harder, and then you'll play. Yeah. Why, why do you think he hasn't, he hasn't actually done much since he left Sunderland in management, I know he he had a stint at Ipswich, which wasn't particularly successful, and then pretty much since then he's he's kind of followed Martin O'Neill around as his assistant, and it, it's always made me wonder, you know, because he it, it, it's like capturing lightning in a bottle, isn't it? When when Keane comes to Sunderland, he just retired, the club needed a lift, and we just had all the momentum, and it just seemed to be, you know, all the standards of the, the all around the club rose, and he was integral to that, and I've, I always wondered, you know, why why. Why is he not worked out from since? Obviously, that's that's an impossible question to answer in a, in a, in a correct way. There's there's probably lots of different answers and mm. probably lots of different uh, factors coming into mind. That he was fresh off retiring as a player when he when he was at Sunderland. Um, for me, as like if you if you if you're a former player, I think the best possible um, combination is to be with a manager. Who is more theor- maybe theoretically and tactically skilled, so that as a former player you can get more into the individual coaching of different, uh, you know, thinking about okay, here's where you do this, here's where you do that, 
And I think maybe that's what he also thought after being a manager at Sunderland and Ipswich and, and obviously trying to, to figure out what we're supposed to do. Because for me, I, I can see him being a great assistant manager with the knowledge in football that he has and the tactical skills and, and everything he's been through. I can see him going on, on training sessions and just walking around the pitch and just pinpointing different stuff here and different stuff there and, and just getting the players on his side. And, and you know, he can be... He can probably just tell them that you're not worth anything. Just the next day, he would come in and say, look, yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. Let's go on. Let's let's yeah. keep going. Because, you know, obviously with the Barnsley incident, I've, I've been on that side of it as well. I was going to touch on that, actually. So talk us through that day then. It was, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll let you tell the story to, to people listening, but I'm sure you'll jog their memories. Uh, it was I probably I don't think I've ever known anything like it. Really, it was quite strange, wasn't it? What went down there? Um, yeah, what happened was that we were going to travel to Barnsley on the Friday. Uh, the game was on a Saturday. Uh, the Friday, just out of nothing, happened to be my birthday as well. So it was a fantastic oh. birthday, twenty fifth birthday. But what happened was that we always—I don't remember the name now of the place where we used to meet up. But we were meeting up at a gas station just outside of Sunderland. Um, I think it was close to Windham, maybe. Normally, I'd go by my own car. I'd just drive there, place the car there, park the car there, go by the bu- with the bus. And then we, when we get back, obviously, get in the car and get back home. But this day, I was going with Martin Fulop, bless him. And he got into, not him, not he himself, but there was an accident. Uh, there was a car accident where he lived, which made him very, very delayed. We were in time. I mean, we normally went maybe 50, 55 minutes before we were going to, uh, before the time of, of the of the, the actual meeting. Uh, and it took us maybe 20 minutes to go there. So we had time. We always went because we didn't want to be late. But this time, obviously, he was delayed. He was delayed by a lot. Uh, so when we left my place, we had 15 minutes, I think, 20 minute drive. But we just, we, I called Dean Whitehead, who was the who was the team captain, and I said, "Look, we're going to be delayed. We're going to be five, maybe 10 minutes late, but we're trying to get there as fast as we can." And he just said, "Oh, yeah, just get here, just get here." And we went down the highway, and we've just gone in like 100 miles an hour, and we've just gone <laughs> flying down the highway to, to try and get there in time. Obviously, trying trying to call Dino throughout the journey. And let's say we were two or three minutes away. I think it was me or Martin just calling Dino again and just saying, look, we're, we're there in two minutes. And he just says, Gafford says, go home um, and he'll call you later. And we was like, no, 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 but we're two minutes away. And he's just said, no, I'm sorry. We, we've already left. So just go home. Uh, and, and obviously that was like, oh, shit. Um, but there was nothing else to do. Obviously, me, he drove me home. Were you panicking about what, what was to come? Or? Uh, yeah, but <laughs> at the same time, I was like, this is not, how can this be my fault? I mean, I was just a passenger in the car. That was, yeah, yeah. He was supposed to come and get me. And I tried to tell, I, I sent a text to Dino and just gone, look, you have to tell him, what was I supposed to do? I, I couldn't yeah. do anything. And, th- and f- for me also, it was a matter of, this was the day before the game. It wasn't like, it wasn't like we were late for the, for the, team meeting and then we were playing two two hours later this was for the bus ride to go to the hotel the day before the game and and i was like come on um but what actually happened was that anthony stokes was also late all oh, right 
and he had been late before, so they wanted to set an example, but mm. he was there before us. But what happened was, obviously, uh, Roy Keane called, called me up, and he just said, look, train with the reserves tomorrow and then be in my office at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whatever, on, on Monday morning. And I was just like, okay, yeah. And then he just <laughs> hang up, and that was it. Training with the reserves, obviously coming into the reserves and, and, and training with them, everybody was just looking, weren't you in the squad? <laughs> yeah but something happened and then obviously telling the story and everybody was just gone <laughs> did, you t- did that teach you any any lessons then or just don't be late <laughs> no, no, yeah but then obviously on, in the monday morning when i came up to his office he was just gone okay you're always in ta- on time and what happened and i just tell told him the story and he's like okay fair enough no problem just from now on you get in your own car you don't trust yeah. anyone else you get in your own car we're playing against Stoke tomorrow. You're starting. So for me, this is done and dusted over with. And mm-hmm. then on, on the Tuesday, I started against Stoke at home. So that was what he was like. I mean, he got yeah. the explanation. Okay, fair enough. I had to set an example. But that was it. And for me, that was like, okay, well, oof, okay, I'll just put that behind me as well. So nowadays, it's just, it had been, it'd have been if that would have happened now, it would have probably been one of those where, Half, like fifty percent of the fans would be on the manager's side, and fifty percent would be on the player's side, and thinking, "Oh, come yeah. on, this is the day before." But he wanted to set an example against, you know, being late and and stuff like that. And uh, we just happened to get in the way of it. Was the was it the Barnsley game? Am I right? Was Barnsley it? away, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I was at I was at that game, and I remember. Um, obviously, this just shows how much time's moved on, really. But obviously, there was no social media, and nobody knew about it. So on the day of the game, I remember. Seeing the team run out on the pitch uh, for kickoff and seeing Stephen Wright and I think Kenny Cunningham, who players who hadn't really featured, you know, and everyone was like, "What's going on here?" You know, where's where 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 are they? But uh, yeah, like you say, at least at least it didn't cost the result because it was an important win. That yeah, and obviously for us as well, it was. I was just sitting there. Let's just make sure they win because they'd, if they'd have lost, it would have been one more yeah. thing to get on his mind. Okay, this was a this was a disturbance in the preparations towards the game, blah 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 blah. But now we won it, and maybe that's why he could just let it go as well. Yeah, and in the eyes of the supporters as well, you know, because the fans probably would have pointed to that too, you know, if if we'd had if we'd had a bad result. Obviously, there was like you say after Christmas there was a big run of successful results, and you know it all culminated with that Friday night game against Burnley at the Stadium of Light, which. I think most supporters would say is probably one of the best nights they've had as a Sunderland fan, you know. Although you didn't start that game, I don't think, but what's your memories of that night as a as an occasion? No, it was a fantastic game. I actually watched that game now afterwards um, on YouTube, on different uh, social media as well. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of those games where you thought, OK, let's just win this because then it would be a good chance. We, I think we had Luton left to play in the last game. Right, yeah, yeah, and and you know, nine times out of ten that season, we would beat them, uh, and then we would get promoted anyway because we we did have it in our own within our own grasp. But yeah, that game was fantastic. Like I said, if it was twenty eight thousand against against West Brom in my first game, it was probably forty six, forty seven thousand against Burnley, and and you could hear that, you could hear that sitting on the bench. It was one of those where you just. You didn't know if you wanted to come on or not because it was like, okay, just just make sure, finish this game off. I can come on the last 10 minutes when it's 3-0 up and we can just run around and playing tiki-taka and just having fun. But that wasn't the way 
things were supposed to be happening that day. I think we 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 took the lead, didn't we? And then we yes. got under with two one. I think uh, David Connolly missed a penalty. Right, and then he scored one. Right. Yeah, that's right. So we took we took the lead. Then they Andy Gray who would actually just played for Sunderland the season before right. and had a, had a bad time. He, you know, he didn't really play much. Uh, he scored the leveller. Then they had like a wonder goal just after half-time, if you remember, from Wade Elliott. It, it, it really knocked the wind out of everybody in the ground, I remember. Um, yeah, I remember that. And then was it, let me see, the second goal must have been, could have been Darren Murphy. Daryl Murphy got the opener and then David Connolly right, scored, scored second, the yeah. penalty. Yeah, that, then I came on. I don't remember how, how long I was playing, but it was 2-2 when I came on. Uh, I'm just looking at it now. You came on in the 71st minute. So, you, yeah. Um, so we're trying to get a goal uh, to win the game. And I think, I'm not going to say that I was involved, but I, was, I actually had a touch in the <laughs> attack that actually led up to uh, Carlos Edwards scoring the goal. Yeah, I think it went to, it went to Daryl Murphy. Gave it to Daryl. Daryl played it. Yeah, I feel, I feel like Daryl Murphy might have played like a cross-field ball to Carlos Edwards and he just, he seemed to gallop forward, didn't he? And it, you know, that goal. I can see it now. I can see it. Oh, amazing. He's just thumped that straight into the keeper's right corner, top corner, and it was just one of them shots. He, he'd done that a few times, hadn't he? He did. He did, yeah. especially in training. Especially in training, <laughs> he was he was scoring goals for fun. But that goal was... Yeah, I can remember the noise in the stadium when that goal actually uh, went in. Uh, and I also remember, because I was down in the left-hand side, just thinking, okay, just do something. Uh, and when he scored, I remember thinking, oh, f- f- now we need <laughs> to defend. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just going to have to defend because it was still like was it like three, four, five minutes maybe left? Uh, he scored. He scored with ten minutes to go. So yeah, yeah I mean it was an, prob- probably felt like ten hours. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, but then again, like I said, we still had we still had one game to go. But we remember. I remember thinking, okay, if we can just hold on to this, there's a good chance. There's there's a yeah. very good chance. And then obviously the game ended three uh, two and. I think it was it was a Sunday on the Monday that we Crystal Palace beat Derby. Um, That's right, yeah. And it was everything fell into place, didn't it? Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. We was actually watching that game at a pub out on I don't remember the name of this area, but we went. I think it was me, Danny Collins, and some of the other players. I think we're four or five players watching the game on a on a on a pub in. You know that place where it's like there's there's hills and there's a big spa just by the sea. There's big cliffs and and see them, see them. That was it. We actually went there, I think, to watch the game uh, because just to get away from from it all a little bit. But the pub was full, and <laughs> we as we sat there and had a few beers, and Crystal Palace scored one nil, and they scored two nil, and we were just gone. Holy crap! We're we're actually we're we're doing this. We're going up. And it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Looking back at where where we started, it was it was a it was a, an amazing achievement. I mean, losing the first four games in in the league and then to go on and actually win the league was amazing. If you look at the league position of the team, even in December we were thirteenth, fourteenth at the end of November. So that's I mean, to win the league from that is just amazing. And it, as as we said, touched on before after January, it just went on and on. You know, we we went. T- 10th, 9th, 7th, 5th. We were actually top of the league um, for the last five games, but it was very tight, wasn't it? And obviously in the last day, we had to rely on, I think, Birmingham to lose at Preston to just make sure we went up, which they did. They lost, and we made light work of Luton that day. 
Yeah, it was five zero. And and what, yeah. what happened? What happened with that game was that what we what we were missing with the Burnley game was that we we got promoted after Derby lost against Palace, but we were still second in the league. Uh, mm. But with us beating uh, Luton in the last game and Birmingham not winning. Uh, we won the league, uh, but we got promoted with Derby losing, obviously. But it was yeah. a, it was a good feeling as well to just go in, go into the dressing room after the game and celebrating on the pitch. You know, getting promoted, winning the league. Obviously, getting promoted was was the key was the key issue. But but winning the league is is there's not a lot of players that can say during their career that they they'd actually won a league. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that you shouldn't underestimate that. It's a, it's a great achievement, especially with 24 teams in the league and playing that many games. To actually win that league was was special. That, that was a great day as well. I remember it, the tickets were like hotcakes because Luton's ground's only a small ground. And um, I remember we, we actually got a letter through the post to invite us to apply for tickets because the, the knew the demand was going to be that high. So only so many people were allowed tickets for that game. But then at the end of the match, once the Luton fans had left, it became apparent the full ground was full of Sunderland fans pretty much. The home end even, you know. The celebrations on the pitch were outstanding. It was just something that lives long in the memory. And it's a shame, you know, obviously the, that it's been that long since Sunderland fans really had anything to celebrate, you know. Yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been a rough ride since. <laughs> but I think what needs to happen is that there needs to be if if we're talking about that day and and going on and just jumping into to what is now, I think I've seen so many different and and strange choices being made in in terms of coaches, players. I think what needs to happen now really is that there needs to be some there needs to be some consistency. You need to choose a path where you think, okay, this is where we're going. How do we get there? Okay, this is how we're going to get there. If you believe in that, you have to you have to stick with it. You can't just yeah. okay, we, we're tenth in the league now. Oh no, let's just change the manager. And then the manager comes on and he brings in four new players, and then, and then, and this five or six of the staff is being switched, and 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 it's new phases all around, and it's just gone. Okay, here we go again. Let's just start over. Uh, and like I said, it could have been easy for. For the board, looking at Sunderland when in the year 2006-2007 to go, okay, we're 14th in November. Nah, fuck this. Let's let's just change the manager. Uh, and and I think even though he's not, he, he might not do great in the first three, four, five months. But where Sunderland is at now, it, it, I mean, I can understand. I can understand the desire and the hope and the and the will for everything to just fall into place and get promoted to the championship and just go on from there. But it's not going to happen on on its own. It's not going to happen by itself. It needs to be a plan and it needs to be, you know, uh, it, it, it needs to be a cooperation with the whole city because that's what the football team is like. Yeah. What I learned is that. The, the team in the city and, and, and the people of, of Sunderland is is when they are united and believing in the, th- in, in the same thing, that's when they're at their best. Yeah. So obviously it's easy for me to say I'm, I'm in Sweden now. I'm, I'm, I'm not I've not been there for, for the last 15 years. But in any club as big as Sunderland where there are struggles, it needs to be some kind of consistency, uh, I think. No, you're totally right. Because when it's different if you if you talk about a club with with a small stadium, if you talk about a club with a small fan base, then yes, it's not that easy. I mean, you have to have special circumstances for everything to be put into place at the same time for a small club to get promoted to the Premiership. But 
with with a, with a fan base like Sunderland and and the actually if you if you I, I know you're not going to like this but with the fan base of football that is up in the northeast both with Newcastle and Middlesbrough they need to be in the same place you can't have yeah. a team in every different division you need two teams in the same division to build a, a, a competitive uh, competitive uh, not spirit but it, it needs to be a competitive uh, situation between two teams I mean I yeah. think and I and I firmly believe that for, for for these three clubs to be successful they need to be in the same division it, it, <laughs> it needs to happen because then everybody can build on on the buzz that goes around the derby games you can you can look at the other team and you can go oh yeah, blah, blah, and cuz I remember when Sunderland when we got promoted Middlesbrough and Newcastle got relegated and we went from being the third best team in in, in the region into being the best one and everybody was celebrating they were almost celebrating as much the other teams going down as we were going up, and I can I can understand that because I'm not from Sunderland, I'm not from that region. I can't I I'm not going to say I'm ever going to understand the rivalry and everything, but being in football and and knowing the rivalries that I've been through during the years, I still think that Sunderland and Newcastle are going to be they're going to be more functioning and they're going to be better clubs if they get to compete against each other. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective actually that I hadn't considered, but I think you're totally right. I mean, even even when both teams have been struggling in the Premier League, it's been that competitiveness between the two. That's actually, um, I, I guess in a way, spurred Sunderland on to be able to, to stay in the Premier League. You know, I mean, the, the, the season before we got relegated from the Premier League, we actually had a part to play in relegating Newcastle. We beat them and then... We won games, which in turn sent them down, you know. And I think, I think, although you shouldn't need added motivation to to stave off relegation, and even saying, you know, that the success in surviving relegation is quite sad, but it actually, when 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 it comes to Newcastle and Sunderland, it, 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 I think, yeah, you're right, it, it does. It motivates it motivates all of us to you know want to one up them really, um, and it would just be nice for us all to be playing, I guess, in the Premier League and instead of competing for a spot out outside of the relegation places to be competing for places in the top because these are big clubs especially I'll, I'm not a Newcastle lover by any stretch but I think we all we all know that we all deserve a little bit more success because there's no fans more loyal to me than those in the northeast you know we live and breathe it I was going to ask that actually I was going to ask you know you haven't played for many clubs you played in Sweden you played obviously for Sunderland and then you played in China um I mean, what is it about English fans that make us? I guess um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I think well, we are definitely viewed differently to fans in other countries where you know it might even, they might even be a little bit louder than us at games. But there's just something different about English football, isn't there? I'm not going to say this just because I'm on on this podcast, yeah. But I would say there's a big difference in England as well because uh, I've been to games and and it, it might just be the the the. The, the game in itself that's not that big but I've been obviously uh, I've been to Anfield I've been to the Emirates Stadium uh, mm. we were watching Leighton Orient last year and obviously Stadium of Light and all the stadiums that that I visited with the team and, and during my season there yeah and to be honest I, I would say there's a difference between being in the northeast and at Anfield compared to being at other places 
obviously, I'm very biased now, me being obviously a Liverpool supporter, my dad used to play there. Yeah. But I would say I've, I've been to so many games, I've been to so many games that I can say that the, like, the English fans are great in a way because it's a, it's, a, it's a certain atmosphere and it's a certain feel to everything when you're in the pub before the game and you go to the game and everybody's there and everybody's friendly and everybody's cheering. But there are more songs uh, there are more bigger fan. Uh, I don't know this the English word for this, but when I when I when I'm playing in Sweden, there are, there are more like every all the fans are in the same position. Do you know what I mean? Like the cop. Yeah. Like yeah, like yeah. you know like Dortmund, like um, whichever stadium that has all the big fans are in the same place. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. makes it a little bit louder. Uh, Sunderland has that behind one of the goals. Yeah, from from the the opponents' um, fans, but it's also different because the, the the noise is going around the stadium a little bit more. But I think for me, like obviously, like I said, I'm biased now, obviously with Liverpool, but also growing up with English football. For me, English football will always be the best, and it doesn't matter where you go. I mean, like I said, we we I've been we're going every year. We're going on a football trip with my best friends and we've been to Amsterdam we've been to Rome we've been to Shanghai obviously we've been to Athens we've been to different places but we also went to London a couple of times and last year we were at Leighton Orient uh, and just because we'd been to Arsenal we watched Tottenham we've watched Liverpool we watched Barcelona uh, Ajax and Roma and everything and we just said no this time we're going to go to a small stadium we're going to one of the smaller teams and we're just going to be there with the genuine people that actually loves football. It was one of the best experiences I've had watching a game because you could hear everything. The, the noise wasn't all that big. Leighton Orient obviously was struggling in, in League Two. Uh, is it League Two or League One? No, League Two, is it? League Two, yeah. Yeah, uh, League Two, yeah. And it wasn't a full stadium. They're playing against Bradford and Bradford fans was a little bit more noisy. But the just genuine feeling you could hear. There was one guy sitting just in front of us and he started picking on the linesman after <laughs> 15 seconds. And, and we were just going, this is exactly why we're here. He was sitting there just getting on the lino's nerves every single time there was a situation <laughs> close to it. And he was yelling at the other fans and he was yelling at the players and he was just, and we've just gone, yes, this is why we're here. And <laughs> that, I would say, is special in England, you'd probably get that at other places as well. But for me, that's what's special about England. The genuine love for the game and the club that you're actually supporting. Um, you, you mentioned, obviously, the English top flight being the place to be. Do you have any regrets that you never got the chance to play in the Premier League? Um, no, not regrets. Because at the time, I don't think... I don't think I would have played much. I mean, we had Ross, we had Daryl Murphy playing in my position sometimes, Anthony Stokes. They signed Kieran Richardson uh, during the summer. And I yeah. don't think it would have been a great situation for me being at Sunderland. What I can regret maybe at times is that I didn't maybe go on loan uh, because there was there was clubs in the championship that was interested. Uh, I could have gone to Hull, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, but at the time... I was I was not really happy being in England uh, at all, uh, and yeah. and like I've said before, that was more 
it was more my fault than anyone else, really, because uh, all the players, the staff, the the people around the club and, and everybody that was trying to help was doing a great job with trying to help me get everything I needed. So it was more me thinking about, no, I need to go back home, just start over. Uh, and obviously, when IFK Gothenburg came, came into the picture, that was my club. Uh, I've been supporting them since I was a kid. My dad played 300 games for them. It's um, so my boyhood it's like a boyhood dream yeah. to play for, for Gothenburg. And and then when they came on and said, no, nah, we'll get you back home then. Yeah, that was, it was an easy decision in the end. But looking back at it, yeah, I, I maybe I wish at times I'd been a little bit stronger mentally and, and, and saying like, no, nah, I'm going to try and stay here and I'm going to try and, and make it work. But having said that, I've had a fantastic career in terms of having fun playing for my childhood club um who I supported and will support for for the rest of my life um and I wouldn't have gotten that if I had stayed so it's 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 mixed emotions maybe uh but mostly I'm happy I I I was I'm happy I made the decision to to go back home because it'd be easy to just say also no 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 just let's just sit this out but I went back and I can't regret that because I've had I've had a great run of, of years where where I enjoyed playing football and and just I've loved every every minute of it. Although I asked, you know, do you have any regrets? You can't really, can you? Because you got to do what you always wanted to do and play football for a living and win trophies in Sweden too, you know? I mean, obviously, you, aside from your club career, you got to play for your country and at the European Championships, I believe. What was that like? I mean, I, I, would, I would be remiss not to ask, you know, what, what was it like playing alongside Zlatan? Because that guy's an enigma, isn't he? <laughs> He's one of the great players of his generation. And I would say that he hadn't he, hadn't he not played against Messi and Ronaldo, I, would, I, I can see him winning the Ballon d'Or yeah. uh, one year. If Messi and Ronaldo hadn't been as over-naturally good as they have yeah, been. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's the best player Sweden's ever produced. He's, he's a fantastic character. He's, he's, he's kind. He's I, I'd say he's genuine as well. I mean, he gets a reputation often that he might be you know, he, he is cocky and he is aware of his abilities, but he's not like that in the dressing room. He's He knows what he needs to do with with, with the world being as it is and, and social media being what it is. He needs to, to build a reputation and an image that he that he can use. But behind closed doors, he's, he's, he's a fantastic guy. I mean, he's just like anybody else, sitting down, playing video games, telling jokes. But obviously, if we're, if, if we're to talk about his footballing qualities, he's just... He's the best player I've ever played with, uh, and it goes mm. without saying, really. But he, you know, the, the standards in, in training and and the things that he does at times, even when he's not trying, he's just, you know, you, somebody ping a ball to him in in, in like a, it's it's probably a meter uh, away from him, and he just pulls out his leg and he just controls it with a precision that is just beyond anybody. And it's fascinating to have been in training sessions with him, especially finishing drills. You know, you start, you train for an hour and then in the national team, sometimes you go, okay, let's just go finishing. Four strikers, go with me, do this, do that. And you've just gone, oh, all right. And obviously with with the standards that Sweden had, we had, Slatan was in a class of his own, but it was still Johan Elmander, there was Marcus Berg, there was Marcus Rosenberg, there was Ola Toivonen. There was different players that I'd been in the squad with all throughout. 
and just you know looking back at it you, you you don't appreciate when you're in the middle of it because you're so focused on what you're doing and you're so focused on okay this is the like okay this year is over the next year starts this year is over the next year starts so they, this game is over the next game comes but when you've retired and once you retire and you start looking back at things and that was one of the great things about actually doing a biography is it's like you can start remembering things and you can actually start appreciating what you've actually done and i've not done half of the things that many others have done but still if i'd have had a bucket list when when i was a little boy i'd have said i want to play for gothenburg i want to play for the national team i want to win the league i want to play in england i want to like a lot of the things have just been yes i've actually managed to do that yeah well you've had a, like you say to you've lived everybody every Sunderland fan's dream put it that way <laughs> getting the step out there in a red and white shirt and, and play for Sunderland, you know um before i let you go though i i'd I would like to ask, you know, what what's your fondest memory of your time with Sunderland, and you know, what what when you when you sit when you sit and you think back of that one year you spent on We Are Side, what what stands out? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that's been fun, but one of the one of the funniest things I think was just when 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 Roy Keane came on as a manager, went on a small trip to Portugal, and everybody was you know, thinking, okay, I wonder what this is going to be like. And we're traveling down to Portugal and it's, I think we're there for like four days, maybe just, it was after the West Brom game, I think. But it, I think in, in, in my mind, it was a national team break just <laughs> after or just before the, the West Brom game. Right. Uh, it must, no, it must've been after, but we were in, we were in the bus going from the airport to the hotel and everybody thinking, and I'm not, I'm not thinking anything because I'd, got no idea what this trip is going to be like it might be just training 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 and you know everybody's just going to be completely exhausted every day but people in the back are sitting thinking oh yeah let's go out let's go have a few beers you know blah, 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 blah. you know making up plans for the night and i think time must it must have been like at eight maybe eight nine in the night when we got to the hotel and if my memory is not completely wrong uh, Roy Keane takes the microphone of the bus and he says, "Look, this isn't a f- like social trip or anything. Uh, I'm not going to have any players running out on bars, drinking beers. You know, this is going to be a, a trip to get to know each other, train hard, and and you know, I, I'm not going to have it." And then he just, it's like almost like he can't really, he can't really hold his smile back. <laughs> so he just starts smiling, and he's just said, "Nah, <laughs> it's going to be training, but." Today, meeting, 9.30 in the bar, last one down, pays the bill. <laughs> and it, uh, this is just, I don't know if this is just talking with players in, in, afterwards, but I think this is actually what happened. Because I remember, I think it was Dean Whitehead and Chris Brown that actually came down last. And I remember that, that he just took the receipt of the bar because people were sitting there. I was, I think I was with, I was with Rory Delap, I think. Uh, and I was just going, is he serious? And Rory's mm-hmm. just gone, we're not taking any chances. <laughs> so we went down, had a few, like, had a couple of beers. And when they came down, he just went with the receipt to them. And he's just gone, you're the last ones down, pay it, <laughs> and then let's go. <laughs> and, you know, it's a great story. I'm hoping it's true, because this is what I remember it to be like. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that that was what happened. Because uh, I remember the bill being at, like, 2,200 euros or something. <laughs> Because the yeah, because the coaches <laughs> have gone down and just gone. Ah, let's get champagne for like eight hundred euros, and uh, it was just one of them where you go, oh, 
we, 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 we did well. We did well. I've heard Kino was a good drinker. So you know, back in his playing days, he was he was known for being one of the the lads on the session who uh, always managed to stay out late and keep up with the rest. So it doesn't surprise us. I think also this one was this one was also I think a little bit about him wanting to show everybody that okay, we're here to we're here to bond. We're here to get to know each yeah. other. And in a way, the best way to get to know each other is having fun. Uh, and and it was just one of those where I think he went thinking, okay, let's have let's have a night out. And then because we were training, we were training in the morning, and it was hard. Uh, but it was it was just one of those where you've gone after that, you just go, okay, but now we've, we've trained now. Let's have a few beers, and then let's get up in the morning and train again. But but that camp was. I think that was that was uh, it was a fun memory, especially that episode. If I remember it correctly, if I'm not, it's just <laughs> going to be stupid. But I think I think it's I think it's accurate. Well, I've uh, I've really enjoyed this chat, Tobias. It's been great. I mean, like you say, as a spotty faced fifteen year old kid, I had your name on the back of my top. I can't remember why. I took a liking to you when you when you first came in the club, and I was I was like most people, I was a little bit gutted. It never. It never went on longer, but you know, you had a good career and it, it didn't matter so much that you left Sunderland early. I'm sure you learned a lot from your experience. Have you got any parting words for the fans listening to this? Like I say, although you didn't spend particularly long at Sunderland, I think people do still, you know, hold a lot of fondness for you. I would say I would say I'm I'm surprised how many times I've actually gotten messages or just you know a few kind words from from Sunderland fans when there's been highlights on on Instagram or there's been highlights on uh, Twitter or it's just been one of those where people start talking about different things and and all of a sudden somebody just pops pops some names out that that should have done better or whatever there's always been uh, a great amount of respect uh, from the fans and I, I I truly appreciate that because I was one of those players who actually at the time cost I cost the club quite a lot I mean it was yeah it was it was a transfer that wasn't it wasn't like five million euros but it was still a big transfer for the club and it didn't really work out. And I can see that being an issue for people and it might be for some, but I've only heard nice words, mutual respect. I'm always sitting on a Saturday or a Sunday and hoping that just to see Sunderland coming back into, into the top, top flight again. And when they do promise I'm going to be there and and have a, and have a beer at whatever supporters bar there is. It's like I said, mutual respect. Um, a lot of fun memories. It didn't really work out, but wishing you all the best and our way the lads. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 